Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 32 of Destination Linux. Today we're going to cover Solus is going snappy. A few other small minor details like, you know, Latte Doc, having a new release, OBS Studio, which is absolutely awesome. And much more. So stick around. We have Ryan is back with us again. Ryan? I know you keep inviting me back. How ridiculous. do you get kicked out of this place? <laughs> and we have a third co-host today. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing excellent, man. What who are you and where did you come from? Well, as I mentioned uh, previously, I'm a balding fat guy <laughs> and uh it likes Linux a lot. Um, but by day I am a uh, Linux admin and, uh, I work with Red Hat servers. Um, so don't hold that against me. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, by night like to uh, play with Raspberry Pis and I run Antergos on my uh, laptop. So yeah, bring a little different perspective, but, uh, you are surrounded by Arch users here, Rocco. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. We've got you outnumbered. This is yep. ridiculous. And we're both on Gnome, so, you know. Where's Rob when you need him? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very happy to be with you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. That is awesome. Okay, well, let me ask you, how did you get started in Linux? I got started in Linux because I was a poor college student, and um, I needed to... Uh, put an operating system on a desktop that I was building. And I learned about uh, Red Hat back when Red Hat was still putting a desktop out that wasn't uh, Fedora. And so I put it on the uh, computer and um, my wife hated it and made me take it off. And uh, But since then, it's been a uh, love-love relationship for me. I, I've uh, worked in Windows environments and I've supported Windows environments, but um, it all came back around to Linux and supporting it is just that much easier. I'm able to be a lot more lazy of a uh, sysadmin when I'm <laughs> doing it with Linux. I mean, you have you, maybe some of the listeners have an idea of what it takes to uh, patch a Linux system compared to patching a Windows system. So hours for one and minutes for the other. So, Well, the but, bigger uh, question is, are you a distro hopper? I am a distro hopper. I am a flagrant distro hopper. Good. Um, my poor, my poor laptop has got uh, has been through so many different. She's just used and abused. But uh, I, I keep a home partition intact so that I can usually come back to uh, Anergos. But I've, I've even dabbled in that KDE stuff. So, oh no. So what's the top three? You, you're a distro hopper. Your top three right now. Top three distros would be uh, Andergos, um, Ubuntu Gnome, and Solus. Nice. Nice. Speaking of Solus. Perfectly- <laughs> 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 Look at it's that. Like we almost meant to do that. It was in the plan. <laughs> so Solus, or I should say Ike, came out and did a kind of a reversal and said that he was going to now support Snaps after talking with Martin Wimpress and a few others in the community, they've decided to support both. So what do you guys think? Well, I think that Wimpy just, you know, took his arm and wrestled it behind his back and said, look, you're going to do what we want you to do, whether you like it or not. 
but no, I don't think that. Um, truth be told is I think that he lists, I, I think Ike took good advice um, from Wimpy, which allows Solis to remain independent, um, but at the same time support a much larger catalog of software. And I think it's a really smart choice. It, it makes me take a second look at Solus because, uh, you know, it's a beautiful distro um, to look at. So it's just a matter of having the limited amount of uh, software available. And, you know, in doing this, it's it, it gives me another reason to uh, hop back over to it. Ryan, so what do I you think, think? For us, us newbies here, it's important to kind of define what snaps and flat packs are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the interesting thing about Snaps when I was doing some research on it is obviously everything is inside of a Snap. All the dependencies, everything you're going to need to run that software is going to be there. Whereas a flat pack, they were saying in certain cases, there may be some dependencies and things that are not included. But the most interesting part is to me when I was looking at this is, you know, Canonical controls the Snaps. And of course, they want to make it available for all the distributions to use. It's a much simpler way of getting software on the computer. But one of the things I read in an article that I found fascinating was the contributor license agreement that's required to use a snap. And you, of course, don't need that if you're using a flat pack. So in some ways, people are saying flat packs more open source than snap and all of that. But either way, from the standpoint of this distribution, having more choices for Solus is going to be a you're going to have more software. If you don't want to use them, you don't have to, but they'll be there for you to download and install. So having both, what's the downside there? You just don't use one if you don't like the philosophy of one or the other, right? Well, that is one thing that has kept me from using Solus. Solus is one of those operating systems that you know when you're running it. It just has a great feel to it. It runs fast. It runs smooth. It has that solid feel to it. Uh, everything is cohesive across the board the only thing is there are certain programs that you know i need and this is not for everybody there's a lot of people that can go through and use the software that's available in solace and not have any issues whatsoever but if you need specific things uh you may not be able to run solace okay this actually opens the door to being able to run solace and get certain programs that you need and who knows i may be switching to it Really? Did we just get a big announcement next week? I'm You'll just be saying. On? Now, this is not like, uh, I don't believe this is like implemented like today, tomorrow. Right. This is just what they're planning on doing. And I've seen uh, quite a few Google Plus headlines come across from Mikey saying that, you know, this is now implemented. This is now implemented so we can start this. So they're working towards the final product where Snaps will be fully functional. Well, something important to point out too, just so that Ike doesn't come flying through and smack us all in the face, is that on Solus you can run lots of different software that may not be in their package manager. But for a normal user that depends on a package manager or you know a software store like like they have, um, those things are not available. I and mean, if you wanted to get down and dirty with uh, you know running it from source and all that kind of stuff, you probably could. I mean, it's Solus is a Linux distribution, and so it's it has that openness. But when it comes to a you know from a normal user that doesn't even myself, I don't like to go through the trouble of running something uh, that I have to run from source. It gets very cumbersome, and there's lots of dependencies that you have to you know fulfill, and it's like one after the other until finally you're like either you get it 
working or you throw your laptop out the window so right <laughs> which is why i don't which is why i'm running ubuntu no right now which i'm someday i'm going to be switching from this thing when i get the time to move over to enter ghost right maybe i actually <laughs> ran, i i ran as i would call it Antergos. <laughs> i ran that for a few months uh back uh -huh. early in the year I ran both GNOME and KD, and it was the best Arch out there. Okay, oh, no doubt. so yeah, I, I really enjoyed I think it. For a gamer's perspective too, if you are a gamer and you and you want to run Arch, uh, Anergos is the way to go. It's it's it makes setting up Steam so much easier. I found on Arch, um, especially with the runtime, there was some problems there, and Anergos right in the beginning tells asks you, do you want to set all this stuff up? So. Yeah. It's yeah, a gaming we'll, beast. It's beautiful. For that. We'll get you converted over. You just so, so, well, one of the things, if you're going to convert Rocco to anything, if you're a distribution developer out there and you want to get Rocco, you better have themes. You better have wallpapers together. Because if you wallpapers. don't, he is not interested in what you're offering. And that leads us to the next story. Rocco, this is your specialty. So go ahead. Look, man. <laughs> the people don't understand how much heat I took for putting in the Bing wallpaper changer last week. <laughs> As you should. As you should. Between uh, Google and Bing, you just keep getting ripped. I'm telling you. you. So uh, last week we covered the Bing wallpaper changer. And this week I figured I'd redeem myself and put in another one that uh, Joey over at OMG Ubuntu uh, talked about, which is the random wallpaper gnome extension. And what this does is it allows you to get wallpapers from Desktopper, Wallhaven, and Unsplash, each with their own specific settings that you can grab. Desktopper has the least amount of settings that you can set for, like what images you can get, but I believe that Desktopper has the better images. Going through this, uh, I tried all three, and they... Actually, Desktopper pulls in the images faster as well. I'm not exactly sure. Kind of, there's like a second or two delay between pulling in the images from Wallhaven and Unsplash. But either way, it's a extension that sits in your system tray. All you got to do is click on it, hit next wallpaper. It'll pull in the next wallpaper random from Desktopper or any of the other ones. It keeps a history of how much you would like to keep. Uh, it's set to 10, I believe, by default. And you can also set it up to do auto uh, pulling in. So it'll pull in images at a random time that you specify. So what's wrong with this, guys? Why don't you like wallpapers? Now, now Why are you I wallpaper a, haters? Now I have a, a, a user tip for our community. Uh, another way to get wallpaper is to go to your favorite search engine, find the image you like, right-click, and set as desktop. Is that the Google search engine? And then, you don't, <laughs> and, then, and then you crawl back into your cave. And, yeah. And uh, forget about the regular. Uh, that's what we used to do in 1999. Now we go get our wallpaper by clicking wallpaper. it. <laughs> yeah, I think the one, I think with desktop or two is the not safe for work stuff. For, for stuff, for people like myself that run a desktop Linux at work and I like wallpapers, um, you know, to, to have something random come across. Um, that may not be pleasing to the boss's eye. Um, I think that's a pretty important one. Uh, that is a good feature. That, that checkbox as well. Um, and that was kind of underestimated, I think, when they first came out with some of these wall, you know, where you could pull in a random wallpaper until, you know, a couple people got something on their screen that either it was not appropriate uh, from, 
clothing standpoint or if it was uh, something that was just inappropriate, like, you know, F you on the screen. It's like, eh, yeah. I didn't know that was there. So that's an important one, I think, for, for Desktopper. I've, I haven't used Wall Heaven before, and I, I think I tried out Unsplash um, to be able to fetch wallpapers, and they were pretty decent. So I have my own little – now, I'm, I'm kind of in between the two of you. I have my own little geeky setup where I've downloaded wallpapers that are like – you know, my favorite sayings or whatever. And then I put them into variety and have them just randomly come across my screen. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a mix of, of both. Well, I don't think this replaces variety because I run variety as well. And it's a much full featured program, but it is a program that's running rather than a, an extension that's just sitting there. So it depends on what you're looking for. So I don't well, think it's going to replace variety for me. So I think that points out its limitation too, is that you, you're going to need to be running GNOME to be able to, to use this extension, which, uh, and if you're in GNOME, extensions are awesome. So okay. it's great to be able to just plop it in there and just use Wait, it that way. Not everybody runs GNOME. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought Canonical just switched to GNOME for that re very reason. <laughs> they, well, and they're switching millions with them. Yep. So Ubuntu 17.10 yes. wants to ship sushi by default. And I don't I'm really care for sushi. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. I love sushi the food, and I love sushi the program. Same. Yeah. Um, what's neat about sushi, if you're not familiar with what it is, is it, it basically allows you to go through your files. If you have videos or whatnot, you can hit your space bar once you install it. And it's going to give you a preview, a super fast preview of that. So for me, as somebody who creates a lot of video content, when I'm going through videos and I don't have the best habits at naming all of my videos exactly what I was doing at that time, because half the time my audio is off and I'm just trying to re-record so I can get it right. Being able to click on the video, hit the space bar, see what it is for a couple seconds, be like, oh, that's a blooper, that's a blooper, that's a blooper. Finally, the video I need is really cool and it is fast. It is super, super fast. And I would imagine if you have a slower system and that maybe not has a lot of RAM or something along those lines, this is even something more useful because for me to open the full video program is half as less than a neosecond anyways. But, but if you have a slower computer like my laptop, for instance, that's where it really starts to shine because opening that full program can take a few seconds and this cuts that in half. Uh, mine is the from the standpoint of the you know being able to open up a script, and a lot of times I'm like you as I you know I just don't name them properly or or I just don't know what it is and instead of having to whip the thing open, I have you know if I can just preview it really quick and say okay yeah that's that, that that's not the script I'm looking for, so but I I think Rocco has a uh, little bit of a beef with this. Well, look, he's a sashimi fan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you. But I always name my files perfectly, so I don't have this problem. <laughs> but, Whoa, Mr. Wallpaper. <laughs> uh, my files are so messy, it's not even funny. <laughs> anyway, uh, the problem that I have with it is, and it's not a big problem, but I have my file manager opening with one click. And the feature of this program is that you hover over it or highlight what you're looking for, and you hit the space bar, and it pops up to preview, which is fast and easy. But... With one click, if you hover over it, it doesn't highlight it. And if you click on it, it opens it. So I have to right-click on it and then click off of it so that it actually highlights it and then hit the space bar. So it really doesn't have 
a great effect for me. I remember seeing that one click option when I was going through settings and I was like, who would use that? And I found them. <laughs> Somebody from this <laughs> century them. would use that. <laughs> Somebody, maybe an old Windows user wouldn't use a double oh, You double click? Whoa. Really? <laughs> you bring my history into this? I'm getting personal now? <clears throat> Uh, that's sorry. too funny. No, but that is a really interesting point. If you do use the one click, then that's going. It's going to be way more effort than it's worth. Yeah, you're uh, better off just opening it. Yeah, for the rest of the population, majority of us, uh, it's a fantastic option. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of fantastic off uh, options and niche markets, you've got Tails Three here now. Chris and I have both used Tails Three. Yeah. We're not experts at it. I think we agree with that, but we've both done it. I actually have a video out there on Tails and Wanix. But Tails is uh, basically for somebody who needs complete anonymity, right? You do not want to be tracked. You want to have your operating system on a USB drive. You want to be able to plug it in. And, and basically, once you're done, everything you've done is erased. Tails 3 is perfect for that. Um, so what do you think, Chris? Tails 3's got some new features here or a new version that they've released. Anything here you're interested in? Well, it's got it's got the slightly tweaked GNOME desktop, so the world is going to GNOME. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, it really is. Yeah, I think what I and I think we shared this uh this thought as well is that it it was kind of cool to play with, but I didn't find a a, a use for it. I'm not an Edward Snowden uh kind of guy. Um but I, I really think if it's something that, you know, and, and another thing that it is, is it, it is an operating system in your pocket. So if you want something that's very anonymous, you go, especially if you're going to go to like a uh, friend's house or whatever, and you don't want to mess with their operating system, you can plug your USB stick in. Um, there's lots of distros you can do that with and run a live distro. This one, True. this one is really that, uh, you know, the weird neighbor up the street that uh, is constantly peeking out his, uh, uh, curtains at you, <laughs> probably running tails on his home computer, even though he has no visitors. Um, it can be a little bit of a a challenge to to set it up because you have to have um, a, uh, a Linux setup, and it, if you can follow directions, you can get it done. Obviously, I got it done, so um, if I can do it, you can too. Right. But uh, it it has a lot of great features for anonymity. I'm sure there are people out there that would find it really useful. Um, for me, it just, it, it didn't, and I, I don't even still have it on a uh, flash drive. As hard as I work to get it onto that flash drive, uh, it's no longer on that flash drive. So, I mean, the elephant in the room is if you're a hacker or something like that, sure, you're going to use something like this. It's going to help protect you anonymously. Mm-hmm. What we were trying to think of is outside of that realm, what are some other folks that may use this? And we were kind of struggling to come up with some reasons, but certainly maybe somebody who's dealing with very sensitive information, maybe even a news reporter who's getting some files or needs to read files from somebody they don't want to get exposed. That could be something about the government or telling information about somebody else. If you if you're in that type of career, then you probably could find a use for this outside of what, say, everyday users like us would have. Wanix to me, which is oftentimes with Tails has a lot of the same features. Of course, it separates all of its user files entirely into its own partition and has the operating system on another partition, but it's it's more, you can boot in every time and it's going to keep your information and all your files. And I think somebody told me you could set that up with Tails too, 
but ultimately the purpose is for that completely mobile disconnect of anonymous usage. So while you can probably set it up to save some of your files that USB, it's probably not uh, the best use of it. So Rocco, what do you think? Are you going to go start using Tails tomorrow? I had downloaded it before and looked at it, but it's not something that I, I mean, I just, again, you, like you said, we talked about that. I just struggle to find a use case for it. It's a mm -hmm. great idea. It's perfect for somebody who is really concerned about privacy. And, you know, the question is, you know, could you do something like online banking for this? Is it that secure where you could use it for that use case? But for me, I don't think that I would have a use case for it. Or, or the time maybe to set that up each time. Right. All of that. Yeah. But it's neat that it's out there for the people who do need it. And I'm glad they're still continuing to support it. I remember when I did my video, everybody was begging and mentioning Tails and Wanix to merge because they're, they have some similarities, a lot of similarities, and they, they wanted them to kind of conjoin forces for this anonymous uh, distribution here. Uh, so we'll see how the future is for them, but I'm glad to see they're still pumping out content. Okay, so Chris, are you a doc user? I am a doc user. <laughs> I, uh, I, I love my doc. I use, uh, but I, I don't think I uh, am as blessed as you are in the doc area. Well, here's the thing. Latte doc is a replacement doc for Plank and actually a replacement, a complete replacement for all the panels in KDE Plasma. They have come out with a release today or yesterday. No, this is Friday, August 11th. So they have come out with a release and they have added so many features to this. It was already packed with really good features, just simple things that you could use. You could, like I replaced all of my panels on my KDE system and used Latte Dock instances. It gives you options to add any widget to the Latte Dock itself. So in that sense, it's way more feature rich than something like Plank. Uh, it, it has little things in it, like for example, you can justify the text or justify uh, the items that you want directly in the center of the screen, which is entirely, almost, if you've ever used KDE, and you've tried to put something in the direct center of the panel, you know how hard it can be and because it continually moves. And But with the justify option, that allows you to do that. Well, they with their new release, they have an all-new layout editor. So you can have different layouts for your Latte dock, which update automatically. So if you're changing it around, it will update in real time, including separate ones for your activities. Do you use activities, Ryan? No. Chris? I do not. I have never found the uh, use case for activities myself, but there are certain people that do use them. And if you do use activities, it will have separate layouts for each activity. It also comes with something that is following the KDE Plasma motto, which is simple by default, powerful when needed. We talked about that before, Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so they have a basic and an advanced mode. So you can have the basic uh, features of it, but then you can check that button and get all of the full features for advanced users that you know somebody with uh, less experience might not want to open up because you could open yourself up to kind of messing things up. 
You know, I could tell that you love this Rocco just by I wish people could see how many points Rocco has in the in the news article we use on Lotte. I won't show like, he's how many literally points. taken up a page and a half of our document just to tell you the features and of very this. well formatted. It very well, well formatted. He spent yes. his time with this. You could tell how much this means to him and and honestly when I was looking through the feature list, I'm very glad that you put them in there, even though I was joking, because I didn't realize how many cool features there can be with docs because i've always just accepted what's kind of come with the distribution right whatever came with the desktop so i've not really gone out there to look for all of these different features i drag the program to it and if it's, it sticks there great if i want to un- remove it from the dock great and that's all i've looked at but now i realize i've been missing out on the customization opportunity well, I just showed everybody all of the links that I put in there, just so you know. <laughs> but, I mean, you can go down the list of a new visibility mode so that you can go have Windows go below the dock, so the dock will always stay on top. Uh, this, is, But, see, this is something exciting. This is something that KDE brings to the table right. that other distributions don't bring. All of these exciting new things that you can switch around and make it your own. That's what's awesome about KDE. Yeah, absolutely. So customization you, in here is just—it's non. Well, you'll see when if you showed it, it's nonstop. <laughs> it's pretty much you can make it what you want, and and whatever you're doing on your desktop, you're going to be able to make that dock kind of integrate into your overall workflow. And that's what we were talking about last week, and it's been the focus of even the video I released with Entergos talking about the user experience, and that you know. In, in the field that I work in, we always talk about the user experience first, then make the technology support that user experience. And some of these distributions that I go into, my personal feeling is they focus on the technology, no user experience. Just the very fact that you said they have a simple mode and an advanced mode tells me that they're focused on the user experience. Because as somebody like me who may be newer to Linux goes in there and sees something super advanced at first, I might just shut it down and be like, I don't want to mess with this. But if it starts out simple, I learn it, and then I can go into advanced as I learn more. Now my user experience is improved, and I think that um, you know KDE does that probably better than anybody, honestly. Yep. Well, this also acts as a task manager, just like uh, a Plank Doc would. So it supports all of the uh, icons and everything. It has a Thunderbird plugin that allows you to show how many emails you have. It just has so many features to it, which makes it absolutely awesome. The only downside to it is they do not have an official uh, dev file that you can install it for Ubuntu. There is a a dev file out there, and they do point to it, but they don't, I guess, they're not ready to say this is the official one. Now, you can install it from the AUR. If you're on Ubuntu, on the GitHub page, they do point to a dev file uh, made by one of the guys. It's just not officially supported. So it's up to you whether you want to install it, but I think it's worth installing. It's absolutely awesome. When I'm running KDE, I'm running Latte Doc. Nice. That sounded like a really good commercial for Latte Doc. Hey, I'm sorry. You should have been holding a latte while you said it. <laughs> I, I actually am holding my coffee. Is that good enough? There you go. <laughs> That counts. So one of the programs, Rocco, me and you use a lot of is OBS. I love OBS. I actually hate OBS and I love it too. Let's be honest. It's a love-hate relationship. Where it just 
I, I can't stand it and I wish I had XSplit. I don't know if you've ever used XSplit, but they unfortunately don't have it for uh, Linux is yet. Is that a so Windows I'm not using program? It anymore. It is. It was. This was before I converted. Um, XSplit I found to be far more um, stable than OBS at the time. There are periods where OBS is amazing and then there are updates that they do where it just seems to wreck everything. But for the most part, they quickly fix those and I'm back to loving it again. Um, but you know, ultimately, and I think Chris, you were mentioning this earlier, it is amazing that you have a program this complex, this capable, and it's completely free, right? You could just go download it and use it. You don't have to have a monthly subscription service like you do with XSplit or anything else. You just simply download this and use it. And thousands and thousands of streamers from Twitch to YouTube gaming to everybody else have used this to help them make a living because not everybody has tons of money to get a streaming set up, you know, the second they decide they want to stream. And so this allows them to do things like that or create YouTube con content without having to spend tons of money on software. So believe me when I say ultimately I love it, um, but there are some times where it gets very frustrating, but they have a new version that we're getting to and that's 20.0. So Chris, Rocco, what are some new features we're gonna see in this? Well, look, they're going with a modular UI. All right. And it's kind of like the GIMP-esque UI where you can have separate windows that are unlocked from the actual program itself. It's not something that I use because actually that's the first thing that I switch when I open up GIMP on an, on an install. I, I put it in single windowed mode every single time. So <laughs> it's not like I'm going to use this, but for people that do like it, it, it is a new feature. They will yeah. have elements that you can just drag around. You can change the elements, you can resize the elements, and you can put them in an undocked mode. So they also have a new theme, and that's not very you know big news, but it seems like it's an okay theme. But the bigger th news of it is they have documented the theme so that you can create your own now. So they have it, uh, all of it's commented in the actual file so that you can go in if you want to and create your own themes, which is absolutely awesome. Right. So Elgato has a streaming software that comes with their capture device that also allows you to have pre-developed themes and things, which is helpful for streamers and such or those overlays. Um, XSplit has that. So it's cool now to see OBS adding some more features in there with their themes. Some of the other things that they're doing here, which I thought amazing is the ability to reset all of your settings back to normal now this isn't much of an issue for me now but when i first started doing youtube videos i messed up obs so bad i'd have to uninstall it and just reinstall the thing because i didn't know what i did wrong i would follow different posts or suggestions or forums and change some things and i couldn't get them back to default because there was no reset default button but they've fixed that so now all the new people will have the advantages that I didn't have. How fair is that? Such a simple thing, and yet such it an is. awesome thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, so they have preview zooming, and this more or less goes back to the uh, how the scaling works when you're actually looking at OBS, and sometimes what you're seeing in the preview screen is not exactly the scaling that it's going to be, or it's or easy to see. So they have... Uh, preview zooming now so that you can put it to the exact scaling. They have audio clipping, which is actually pretty darn 
good feature, man. Uh, so it will let you know with red color now if your audio is clipping. And you don't have to wait for the end of the broadcast and put it in Audacity and see if it's clipping or fix it afterwards. You can see after if it's you've clipping. made the perfect video. <laughs> yes. you've, done, you've done one recording. <laughs> everything you wanted to say was perfect. And then you get in there into that video. If you've ever created content, you know this experience and the audio's off. It's clipping. It's that doesn't even sound like sounds like a robot. All kinds of issues. So it's very cool to see them working on ways to fix that. Cause what a frustration. Uh, you also have Stinger Transitions, which is another new feature. Um, I guess this is kind of helping them with your transitions. I don't do a lot with transitions, but I know if you're doing a lot of live streaming, transitions can be a really unique uh, thing to use. And I think, Rocco, you may use them more than me, but uh, apparently it's going to allow to have kind of a small video clip transition as you're going through to screens. Well, you can take, say, a uh, an explosion, and normally in, in transitions you can do like minor ones, like a Luma wipe. I mean, you can make, I guess you can make your own, but this allows you to easily put in from one transition to another a, a small video, like a, a, a sign flying by or a uh, an explosion where everything explodes and then it just automatically switches to the next thing. So it's absolutely awesome. Can you do that on this this uh, video, just do an explosion after every comment I make. Well, he's going to add it in after the fact right now. You're going to see an explosion. Well, there's a, you know, it, it depends on how you want to do it. Like, you can do it in OBS, and, or you can do it in Gaten Live afterwards, so. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also FTL support, which is not something that uh, well, we may get into if we stream Rocket League again. <laughs> now you're talking. But it's not, I don't uh, do the streaming thing too much. So, but it is there. It does have a new supported uh, FTL protocol, so it allows for. I guess it, it's more for to make the latency go away, to where you can be kind of look like you're in the same room with somebody, and you'll see the, what you're seeing. So there's no. Yeah, this is a actually really delay. important feature. We don't really use it a lot, but. Beam came out, which is Microsoft's version of Twitch, mm -hmm. uh, where they bought Beam. And what Beam allowed was this. They basically removed this latency from their side, which Twitch has always had a latency. Um, but Beam removed that latency, so now you're interacting with the individual real time, which kind of makes a really different experience because when they're reading your chat, they're literally reading it at that very moment. And people are able to interact with the host a lot more. So you notice in, in things like Beam, and they're adding it in Twitch too, they have these features where you can create uh, pay for sounds or explosions or things to go off to try to interact with the host or whatever. So allowing this, I'm assuming they're going to be utilizing these type of services to have that more real-time feel and probably integrate into services like Twitch as they're trying to compete with each other and they're both launching new features to try to, you know, uh, take the crown of your streaming services. So I think ultimately it's very good and it's future-proofing OBS for kind of how the services, uh, streaming services are going. Go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, since you guys got to dominate that, because I'm not a, uh, I, I don't use OBS as, as much as you two, I will take the next subject, which is Do it. Uh, Firefox 55. <laughs> Even though I'm a Chrome user. What? Um, <coughs> what? Wait, that's wait. Hold on, that's two to one. Yeah, Ryan. Oh. <laughs> Ryan's 
two Chrome users. Uh, he's getting sick here. now. Ryan's getting oh, sick. I'm not even. I'm not even a Chromium user. I'm a Chrome user. Oh wow. gosh. Why but, even use Linux? Just give all your information to Google. That's. Uh, <laughs> I might as well just get it. You just write it down and ship it to him. <laughs> Firefox is working hard to win me back. Yes, they with, are. Uh, with the 55 release. Um, there's been performance enhancements. It's been all over the news. Everybody's talking about the new Firefox. You know, they've got, uh, what was it? 1,600 and some tabs. That a were lot. A lot of tabs. 1,691 to be exact. And I think Ryan has <laughs> uh, volunteered to uh, make a video on that happening. It may take him about seven years to get the tabs <laughs> open. But uh, anyways, they, they're working on a new uh, theme support, um, which... Uh, in the notes here, it says they did that just for you, Rocco. Uh, me? Just for me? That's want awesome. you to come back. <laughs> come back from the dark side. <laughs> but uh, the one that I think is important, and this kind of follows along with really the philosophy of Firefox, is the click to activate with Adobe Flash, um, with Flash dying as it should. Um, you know, it's, it's really important. A lot of people don't even know that when they get to a site and it just starts up, um, normal users don't worry about going into about config and shutting that stuff off um, to have it pop up and say, you know, do you want to run this flash? And with flash being as uh, unsafe as it is, uh, many of us want nothing to do with it. Um, HTML5 does a fantastic job of what most of us know with Adobe Flash, unless you're still playing some of those old Facebook games. Um <laughs> like my wife and uh <laughs> <laughs> better hope I, she doesn't listen to this podcast all right oh no yeah. never she she would have been asleep by now um but you know the the big thing for me is that the performance improvement had to happen um i got frustrated with firefox I, and i i said this to you guys earlier is that i firefox is the one application i want to use I want to use Firefox. I, I like the philosophy it's built around, and um, I would prefer to use it. But Chrome is just so much faster, um, and you know, that really was kept keeping me. Now, I did download it, and I've tried it out. I haven't seen a huge improvement, but you know, Ryan's you know, made, the, made the case of, of why it's uh, better. I can say that it's, it's certainly better than it was. Um, but man, well, was it a resource hog. Is well, it enough noticed, to bring you back? Yeah, not yet. I, you know, it's, uh, I have a lot invested on the, the Chrome side when it comes to, um, look, you know, I know you can, you know, bring your bookmarks over and all that kind of stuff, but it's just, it's one of those comfort things. I open it up and it just, all my stuff's there and I can do what I need to do with it. And making that transition, it's like moving, you know, like moving from one home to another is, having to move all that stuff over and, and uh, someone needs to build a really good uh, conversion uh, extension that converts you over from one to the other easily or something that's universal so that, you know, it doesn't matter what browser you bring up, you can have all your bookmarks and good stuff there for you. So this is the same thing I feel though about Android and you guys using Chrome, we joke about, but you know, Android being owned by Google and the fact that it's a privacy invading platform for so many reasons, unless you root your device. And then you have Chrome, which is just... Wait, 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 wait. Are you using an iPhone? I have both. I use both. 
Um, but yes, yeah, so iPhone certainly, and we could get into that discussion if you want, has a lot of great security enhancements. And Apple and the EFF has been extremely supportive of Apple and gives it five stars versus Android at only three because of the privacy uh, uh, advocacy that Apple has done. You've seen they've protected in a lot of recent cases people's data. So I'm definitely not against Apple. They've done a lot of great things for privacy. But when you look at Linux and using Linux and a lot of the complaints about Windows being a, basically a metadata advertising now within your start menu and all of that stuff, and then you use something like Chrome, I wonder why not use Chromium? Because now you're kind of, and it's kind of like what I want for Android. I want a pure Android device, not a Google Android device. And for Chrome, I get the advantages of the browser, but why not use Chromium? Because those advantages are all there in Chromium that are in Chrome. And you don't have the privacy metadata grabbing. Well, okay, for me, I have said before that there have been a few sites that Chromium has not worked on for me. And every time I have tried it, uh, it works fine. Okay, it's not like it doesn't work fine. But Are you trying to find wallpapers? Well, I was trying to find wallpapers the one day, and it just wouldn't open up. So I got so frustrated. I inst- No. Um, no, it's, seriously. I installed Chromium. I had it running for a while. But I, you know what? It has... And it depends on who you talk to. If you talk to uh, somebody like Ike, and the reasons why he doesn't put Chromium in Solus is because the back-end areas of Chromium are pretty much the same as Chrome. So if you're going to use one, you might as well use Chrome. Right. Well, the other, and I I just want to throw a slight uh, iPhone argument in there, is that uh, and you had mentioned, you know, with Google being so invasive, but the flip side to that is net neutrality. And that's going to be a big subject, you know, coming up soon is that um, Apple is one of the few companies that did not sign on to the uh, letter for net neutrality. And that's a big deal um, with a company that's sitting on that much cash. Um, and I know we're kind of, I'm kind of going off in a in the right field here, but that's uh, true. I just don't feel like, and for those who don't believe me, you could see both Android and iPhone. I have both; they're both activated. I use both devices. One in your right hand. Yeah, but the, you know, I think a lot of people view. Well, obviously, a lot of people talk about Linux and Android being one. In fact, one of my latest videos, they said, "I can't believe you use an iPhone." I wrote a Bash script to for booking uh, an iPhone. I said, "Well, I use both," but. Android doesn't, Google's version of Android does not necessarily represent, in my opinion, the Linux community, uh, although at its roots, it's there. Um, there's just so much invasive things that are a lot of reasons why we left Windows that are sitting on these phones, and a- Apple doesn't do that. The other thing is, this is my industry, so I kind of work behind the scenes in telecom, so this is, I know some of the things that happen behind the scenes that don't get talked about in public with what gets put on to Android devices what gets put on with Apple devices and what Apple allows versus what Google allows. And I can tell you, one's not going to allow a bunch of stuff on them. In fact, it's a major issue in the industry, whereas Android's an open market. You, you can put whatever you want on it. And that type of stuff is kind of the behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see. So I think it's an important discussion, but you're right. There is the Apple not supporting net neutrality yet is a big problem. And I think the user community needs to come out against that. But um, I think ultimately you need to represent things that you know we left certain programs or devices stuff for in the first place that's why i think chromium is really powerful and firefox 55 is faster and there are reasons why people uh were looking at 
Firefox because it was more resource heavy, more CPU usage, more memory usage. And I could tell you, I have them up right now. Chromium is using the exact same amount of CPU and memory as 2% of my CPU as Firefox is. And when I was running test videos side by side, they use the exact same CPU and memory. So there's some improvements there that are being made. And I hope Firefox continues to move because I think I hear from both of you that if they could make some of those improvements, you'd switch back. Okay, the question is, can Firefox make those improvements with the amount of add-ons that you can run or the amount of extensions you can run in Chrome? So the biggest thing with Firefox is if you install it vanilla, it runs fast. It runs great. But as soon as you start adding the add-ons to it, that's when it starts slowing it down. And that doesn't happen in Chrome the slowness is not there and you can have pretty much as many extensions as you want. And that's the difference for me. Good point. Mic so drop. We, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you just mic drop me, Rocco? I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, well, we need to get you a fake mic so you can do that. <laughs> Ryan, do you remember the password advice I gave you? Yes, it was so good. I've implemented it immediately. Okay, so forget everything I said. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> Ryan had to take all of his passwords, put them on little sticky notes, and put them all above. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the advice you gave me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So there's an article out on the BBC that talks about the author, Bill Burr, who had advised users to change their password every 90 days. And, you know, mix it up with numbers and symbols and create ridiculously long passwords with multiple numbers, capital letters and everything. Except for that's changed now because he doesn't feel that that's worth it. So now he suggests that you use a phrase. Okay, so long story short, people were not changing their passwords. You know, he said change it every 90 days. So they would, instead of changing it to... Uh, from, say, the article states Monkey 1, they wouldn't change it to, say, some other name. They would change it to Monkey 2 so that it would be easy for them to remember, okay, which is what any normal person would probably do. Why did you use my actual passwords in this example is what I want to know. Is that what you used? Monkey really <laughs> <laughs> now you can get into my bank. And um, so, long, like I said, he said that now he believes that it's better to use a phrase. So, for example, the article talks about pig coffee wandered black. Is that your password, Ryan? That's my other password. That's your other password. So yeah. a phrase is easier to is not as easy to guess as something such as the word broken when you use a zero and a three in it, replacing the letters. So what do you think? I mean, I think if people would just focus on actually having different passwords for different sites, we would probably be at a huge advantage. Uh, I, I don't disagree with his uh, suggestion here, um, but at the end of the day, there are still people who use the same password for every single website they go to. And there are still people who are using their kid's name plus the year they were born as their password. Are they They're Firefox users? <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. They're Chrome users. Uh, if you're a Chrome user, in fact, uh, you could just ask Google what your password is while you're browsing and they know it all. So, um, 
Well, I think, um, I think one thing that's important, and I've, I've pointed this out to a couple of my friends uh, and family members that are not as technical, I tell them to go over to howsecureismypassword.net mm -hmm. and have them type in their password. Now, obviously, you don't usually want to type in your password into any kind of form, but I've, I've done this just to see, you know, what my typical password, whether it can be hacked or not. And what's cool is they will tell you how long it will take for a password to be hacked. And like I just put mine in and it said it would take a computer about 18 years to crack your password. Monkey one, 18 years? Wow. Uh, monkey one, <laughs> one hour. Yeah, how long does monkey one take? Monkey one is instantly, it says instantly. <laughs> you are so insecure, Ryan, you oh my gosh. You read that wrong, it's infinite. Take infinite <laughs> amount of time to crack monkey one. Infinite. Let's see. If I put in a phrase though, like Ryan should shatter his iPhone <laughs> thirty-one nanillion years. Wow. Nice. Ugh. I'm gonna use that one now. Nobody will ever guess it. Um, Nobody so will I, know. Just use it. Yeah. So yeah, I, I got no. it. And my wife is really furious about this, and still is, and it irritates the crap out of her, but um, I use a password manager, which uh, we're gonna get to discussing here in a minute. And th the thing about using a password manager is that I can put in ridiculously, actually I have the password manager create them for me, and I can put in ridiculously you know, hard passwords, and all I have to remember is one password to get into my password manager. Right. The one I use is a, uh, cloud-based, which is, you know, terribly insecure, but, you know, I use Chrome, so, you know. Maybe why not? So, hmm. You're already giving your passwords to everyone else. I know, I know. It's, I might as well play along with it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, I, you know, I use, and I can use this on my phone, I can use it on my, uh, any of my laptops, um, my wife can use it on her uh, terrible Windows laptop, and in the end, we, we're all able to use these, you know, able to get access to our passwords without having to use the same exact password on every single website. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's one thing that a lot of people are beginning to take advantage of, even normal users, is that if you can have a good password manager that can help you with this, um, you're probably less likely to make those password mistakes. So how secure is my password.net? It's a, it's a great place to find out just how terrible your password is. But if you put one of these, uh, one of these, uh, phrases in what was that phrase again pig monkey pig coffee wandered black pig coffee wandered black um 84 quintillion years there nice. you go so everybody change your password to, to pig that coffee. then send me the bank you use and i'll test it out for you um but I, I think ultimately, you know, you talked about a cloud-based password manager. Um, ultimately, security, nothing is fully secure. So a lot of people use KeePass and that type of stuff. And yes, you could set up KeePass so that it's on, say, a NAS that you can access from outside your home and those type of things so that you can have that cloud, basically setting up your own cloud-based server. And those. But security has to be mixed with convenience. It has to have a certain amount of convenience mm -hmm. there. And for the rest of my family, while I may be mega geek, they don't want to spend so much time playing in my NAS and all that stuff. They want something that just works. And so I think, you know, some of these options out here, Dashlane, LastPass, uh, Encryptor, you mentioned, these are great services that allow you to set very complex passwords, but you can access them from any of your devices. And you're going to be more secure just based on that, as long as you're not using Monkey One as your password to unlock all your <laughs> other passwords. So... 
this is the, th- the thing is that you get to memorize one very complex password that you rotate and uh, you can use phrases and things as well. I've, I've noticed that phrases is added into some of these services as a password options. So there's a lot of great options out there. You need to have that combination of being secure, but also being convenient. And I think these password managers allow you to, to use, do that. Um, but phrases are neat because if you wanted to not use a password manager, you could probably remember some of these phrases. Big coffee wandered black better than you could. One, two, three, capital K, X, Y, one, two, you know. Well, just as a side note, uh, Dashlane is for Windows only, I think. Not true. Not true. You can. It's not for that. Linux. Let's put it that way. Yeah, it's it doesn't uh, come natively to Linux. It's something that I've actually pestered because I was on Dashlane when I came to Linux, pestered them about. You can run it effectively within Wine. Uh, so Dashlane works very well in Wine, but uh, they definitely need to provide a Linux port there, uh, which ultimately led me to leave Dashlane because I thought it was a fantastic password manager, yep. but without the well, support get- for the tux, you get no bugs. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give a a, a little shout out there to uh, Encryptor, because and it's E N C R Y P T R, so it's uh, got that Web 2.0 thing going on. But um, Spider Oak makes this, um, and Spider mm-hmm. Oak does some other stuff, some backup stuff. File Encryptor stuff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So Encryptor is completely free. Um, you can get it for it has a Linux um, uh, client, it's got a Windows client, it's got an Android, iPhone. Uh, I think it might even have a Windows Phone client. Um, and oh, what's there you that? go, Rocco. Yeah, there. sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that Paul um, Free. Well, you have okay, so uh, I've I've actually never heard of Encryptor, but I ha- actually do like using Spider for cloud storage. So that's pretty cool, man. Well, Encryptor. What's nice is that it's it's hosted. Um, everything's hosted encrypted. When it downloads onto the client, it downloads encrypted, and then the client decrypts your uh, passwords for you. Um, and then when you like on your phone, if you have the client open, you can double tap on the on the password without even revealing it. So you can have this wide open in front of everybody. It's got it blurred out. You double tap on the password, move back over to whatever you were working on and uh, paste that password in. And you have uh, a much easier way to uh, manage your passwords. And uh, but I just I, I love that I can use it on every device and that it syncs up to every device and that they encrypt it in the cloud and that it decrypts on the on the client, so it's got a lot of cool stuff, and obviously Spider Oak has a uh, a great reputation for encryption. So, well, I use NPass, and that has you know cloud storage that you could. No, it doesn't actually have cloud storage. It allows you to sync with cloud storage if you like, or it allows you to sync on your local computer, which is what I normally do. You don't let Chrome just save all your passwords? Are you crazy? <laughs> I'm not stupid. I played with NPass NPass a little bit because what I liked is that it, um, it it fills in forms for you um, inside of the the browser, which was kind of cool. And I even set it up on my next cloud server uh, to kind of work it that way so that it synced back and forth between computers and it, it worked wonderfully. So I I think that NPass is a a great uh, password manager as well. Okay. So, in the interest of time, let's skip on down to the gaming section. Ryan? Oh, man, I'm excited about this. <laughs> I'm excited about this. So, AMD users, you have no idea how bad I want to build uh, an AMD build right now. With all the Ryzen and, and Vega talk, I just I, I keep looking Forever. at Newegg 
and everything, just trying to figure out if I can convince the wife why I need a seventh computer. Um, so in any case, what's going on here is there's an article talking about the fact that for a long time, AMD users, if you were if you were playing a game within Linux and you played it in Windows, you're going to have a much different experience. You're going to have a better experience in Windows benchmark-wise than you were going to have in Linux with AMD users. Now, NVIDIA users like myself, when I ported over to Linux, I saw no difference. In fact, in many cases, I thought Linux ran it better or definitely as good as it was running in Linux. We're talking native games here, um, not something you're running through Wine. So I didn't have that experience at all, which is why on my channel during 30 Days of Linux, I'm like, gaming on Linux rules. It's amazing. It's <laughs> awesome. Um, but AMD users may not had that experience. Now, your, your experience may vary depending on your distribution, the hardware you use, et cetera. But essentially, the article saying they've released a new open source driver for AMD that equals that playing field. So now if you're using AMD and even some of the older cards, I think the R9 Fury was on there, Rocco, and some other ones, that yep. the benchmarks are showing that your gaming experience with that AMD device in Windows is the exact same or very close to the gaming experience that you're going to have in Linux. So that creating an even playing field is absolutely amazing. And bravo to AMD for spending the time to create a driver to equalize that playing yeah, it really, it seems like AMD has really put a lot of investment into everything lately. And, uh, you know, with the new Threadripper coming out and the Ryzen uh, being able to saddle up next to Intel, um, it's it's very good to see. I think that any kind of um, competition is great. And uh, absolutely, it's really nice to see that, you know, that the open source uh, driver is faster uh than the uh, hybrid proprietary driver. Yep. Well, I don't know how many people will be able to afford a Threadripper, but it from everything that I've seen, you're not buying one. Performance-wise, it just tears up Intel. <laughs> like, I don't know how well it, you know, like bugs and all that stuff will happen, but uh, as far as performance alone, it just tears Intel up. Oh, the benchmarks look like. Well, they look like what AMD used to look like yeah. when they were compared against Intel. It's just completely flipped. And the funniest thing is if you follow Intel and AMD on Twitter, NVIDIA actually posted at AMD uh, a Ryzen NVIDIA uh, combination. So they were like, get a Ryzen chip, but also use an NVIDIA GPU. And it was hilarious. <laughs> yep. And AMD basically uh, tweeted back with like a high five. But you could see even even um, Intel's kind of like, oh, they're, they're left out there in the dark now with all the stuff going on with Rise. So I think this is really awesome to see them come back. Like you said, the competition either way is going to, whether you're a huge Intel fanboy or AMD fanboy, whatever, uh, it's going to drive both companies to do better. And it's great to see them both now on equal playing fields. But we have some more awesome news out there for gaming in the Linux community. Gokin Early Access is out and released for Linux. But the best part of this, Rock. The What's best the part best part, man? The Linux community going into the developers' forums and telling the developers, being, you know, not annoying, but being persistent that Linux, we want this game. Will you please release this game for Linux? Is what got Gokin on Linux. They finally uh, replied to the forums of Linux users and said, you know what? We're going to release it for Linux and we're going to do it on day one. So that was just so awesome to see. And I think it shows how important it is that now we go and actually support it uh, if you have the resources and get that game. 
But it shows how important it is to reach out to these developers and let them know, number one, Linux is a great platform for gaming. It's an amazing platform for gaming. Number two, we're going to support you when you come here. And yes, we actually do have money. A lot of us make lots of money, in fact, and we can afford your game. <laughs> and uh, number three is we're going we're gonna to play these games. We're going to support them by uh, you know, going to those forums and helping them with bugs and everything else. Making a game for Linux community is great because Linux folks will help you. They're so technical. They can help you fix half of your problems out there for you. So it's just a great platform to release on. It looks like a very cool RPG. It's spelled G-O-K-E-N. So if you get a chance, support those developers. Let them know you appreciate, uh, if nothing else, the fact that they kind of did that release on day one. What do you think, Rock? Are you going to go get Goku? Well, I it's probably not a game that I would play uh, just it's because not I'm. Based. It's not Chrome, okay? So I won't. <laughs> it's probably, I, I'm not. Uh, that's not my style of game. I'm a, more of a first-person uh-huh. shooter or a <clears throat> Rocket League. But yeah, uh, it is awesome to see the community get together and actually go to the developers and say, "Hey, we want this," you know. And like you said, yeah. you know, th- the biggest thing is about the money. The game developers, if they see that people will buy the games, they may end up making the games. And the only way they're going to see us buy the games is if people tell them we're going to buy the games. And it's just a snowball effect. So, yeah, well, we're only a small percentage of uh, gamers. You know, we're a small percentage of, of users, but we will spend the money for games just like you said. The snowball effect. I don't know if you noticed on Twitter today, but Farrell. Uh, put out that they were they're basically asking um, Linux users what games do you want ported over to Linux and they're basically holding an open survey uh, with a hashtag on Twitter uh, to get to uh, find out what games they want ported over so it I I like the I, you know from what I saw from the Goken game it's kind of up my alley and I'm not a big gamer but I like uh, RPGs and in this case, it even has kind of a little retro feel to it. Yeah. So I, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I'm, I'm definitely going to get it. It's an action-filled RPG where you're in the search for lost five swords and maybe saving the world, too. I mean, what's not to love there? You could be a hero. Ryan, I'm going to race you on the five swords. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a deal, man. And then, Rocco, I know you're going to love this. Sudden Strike 4 releases today well nice. not today for the people listening to the podcast but today um so by the time you listen to this podcast this game will be out and man does it look cool if you want to command armies you want to be a bad general that goes in there and uh, sends in a bunch of tanks and troops and you've got military deployment experience you love chess this is your game right and what do you think, Rocco? and it runs on linux Amen. On yeah. day one, day one release on Linux. <laughs> yeah, it looks absolutely fabulous. The the graphics on it look great. It, it, again, it's not my style of game, but people that love this style of game, and I talk to them all the time, that this is something that they're gonna love, man. If you love Command and Conquer, if you love StarCraft, if you like those type of Warcraft, you like those type of games where you're in command of these armies and you've got massive strategy going in, how you're gonna take over the enemy. This is your game, and it's absolutely beautiful. Modern, up-to-date graphics. Yep. Really a AAA title on day one for Linux. Love seeing Love seeing So what's next, Rocco? We have an email from a listener uh, whose name is Mark, and because I didn't uh, get a permission beforehand, I won't mention the last name, but he was listening last week when we talked about 
the installer, Ubiquity installer for uh, the Ubuntu versions, not having the option to skip the grub. And he sent an email in and he says, I'm currently listening to this week's episode of Destination Linux, and I have a suggestion about grub that may be useful. If you want Ubiquity to not install grub, running Ubiquity with the B flag will be of use to you. So in my experience, it has, hasn't stopped Ubuntu from automatically mounting the partition when I log into the part, Ubuntu partition, but it does prevent Ubuntu from overwriting the exis, existing grub. So that may be an answer to your question last week. Mark, you are awesome for following up with that. It's it's an issue that I've run into a lot. And as a distro hopper, it's an issue I think a lot of people run into. And I never knew you could do that. So I will definitely try that the next time I'm uh, using that installer. So that's beautiful. Thank you very much for that. Well, I want to mention the Telegram group again. Uh, we actually picked up quite a few uh, new members, including Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> I was excited to join. Ryan's a brand new user. Ryan's a brand new member to the Telegram group. Uh, great bunch of people in there talking every day. Uh, it's actually picked up so much uh, in it's the last. It's really days. active. I was shocked how active it is. People were talking all throughout the day about a ton of different subjects and really interesting topics. So, and a lot of geniuses and brains in there that you can learn from. So, really cool place to join. I'm happy I joined a little late. <laughs> wanted to make sure nobody was talking about me. Right. Now I could go back through all the history. And be like, where's that guy that don't like this? <laughs> yeah. And I also want to thank the uh, Patreon supporters who have helped us out. So that is much appreciated. Definitely. But I got a question for you. What's that? Do you like Destination Linux enough to wear it? I would swag myself out from head to toe in Destination Linux gear. I would probably get my ears pierced just to have a Destination Linux earring if I could. Well, wow. guess what? Really? What? <laughs> we have. Uh, we are now offering uh, Destination, Destination Linux. Destination Linux nose rings? No. No, I'm sorry. Oh. Nose rings are out, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Apparel, gear, stuff, you know, stuff you'd buy. Swag. So... I had done one before, a Teespring uh, design, and what I found when I first did it was Teespring, they put base prices on everything, and then they allow you to make a profit from that. And their profit margin was pretty high, which caused the apparel itself to be high. So you would pay $21, $22, $23 for a T-shirt, and to me, that's like too much it's outrageous right. okay it's not something that i would buy so what i did was i let that run out and i made another teespring and i set all of the prices so a, just about between three and four dollars above the actual base price to lower the end price for everybody because i'm not here to you know it's great that you would buy one to support destination linux but it's not something that we need to make money off of uh, right. we would just love to have you have a destination linux t-shirt sweatshirt or coffee mug well so. rocco let me let me interject a little bit as a listener of podcast i don't think that it's a, a terrible thing and or nor uh do you need to be apologetic for um you know reimbursing for the, what it takes to to run something like this i as a listener i'm very appreciative um first of all the apparel looks fantastic um you'll it does definitely look awesome uh, very well done. Um, but I think that, you know, there's lots of us out there that are ready and willing to, to support, uh, the podcast and, and, uh, you know, it's great that you've, you've, uh, lowered 
the uh, price on it because I, I think we were talking earlier. A lot of the Teespring stuff, you know, you come across and you're like, man, I'd really like to, but that's pretty expensive. Twenty five bucks for a T-shirt, I ain't going for that. So I, I think you've priced it very, uh, very well, and uh, I, I appreciate that, and and uh, I will wear it with pride. That's right. You're going to look great doing it. You know, people are going to look at you on the street and they're going to say, that guy has a brain. Number one, he uses Linux. Number two, he listens to the Destination Linux podcast. But we've even got coffee cups. Coffee (laughs) cups. That was the first one I ordered. If if you walk into my office and I'm hiring and you have a Destination Linux coffee cup. You're in. Probably. Yeah, it's done. (laughs) I'm not even going to ask you the questions anymore because I know you're smart, intelligent. And uh, you have good taste, but the, really the design is absolutely great. It's um, I, I think it it's classy. It's got the nice logo in there. You got the tux penguin in there, but it's not overdone. It's not so big that you're gonna um, uh, be embarrassed to wear. So it's just really well done. It looks awesome, and I want that coffee cup too. Well, my point too is, is that I you know I, I really appreciate you know what you've done price wise, but by no means be apologetic for. Uh, uh, for recouping some of the costs that it takes to put together such an excellent program. And you, you guys do a great job of this. Um, I'm a recent uh, listener to the Destination Linux. And uh, as I pointed out in my first email that I sent over to Rocco is that I'm, you know, I was really, I really appreciated how the focus on the desktop um, that this uh, podcast brings. And I think you guys do a great service. So I hope everybody reaches out and gets themselves some pretty sweet looking swag at the same time supporting the podcast. Love it. That would be awesome. So you, I will put a link in the show notes, but you can go to teespring.com forward slash destination Linux podcast. And if you want to visit our website, it is destinationlinux.org. Telegram group is destinationlinux.org forward slash telegram. Chris, it's been a great time having you here. Yes. It was a great time meeting you. I appreciate, I appreciate you joining it. us. What people won't see is that before Chris, when we were doing just a little pre-show review, Chris had us laughing like hysterically. Chris, it's been <laughs> awesome having you on the show. It was great quiet. to watch you spit your, your uh, drink yeah, out. Yeah, I almost spit my drink. I'm glad that wasn't on the podcast. Maybe they'll see that in an outtake. Who knows? Oh, man, Rocco. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> All right. So a big thank you to you, Ryan, and to each and every one of you who support the podcast we thank you for watching Destination Linux. Have a great weekend. Remember, the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. All right, I'm going to take a quick sound recording, make sure it all sounds the way it's supposed to, and everybody say something. Long story short, having both Flatpak and Snaps, two independently diverging standards, has the following effect, Rocco. You sound ridiculous. <laughs> 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 <laughs>